and welcome to the Original Content Podcast. I'm Anthony Ha. I'm Jordan Crook. And I'm Daryl Etherington. And every week we review a new streaming show or movie. And this week we will continue in our theme of holiday romantic comedies by reviewing Happiest Season, a new, really star-packed film on Hulu. Before we get to that, I did want to read one email you can always email us at originalcontent at techcrunch.com, and I think this email will show that we are not immune to flattery. Happy to just <laughs> read emails that say nice things about us. I don't think anyone ever thought I was immune to flattery. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is from Michael Benedoso, and it's short and sweet. I just wanted to send a quick note of appreciation for your podcast. It's amazing, funny, insightful, and entertaining. I listen every week. Thanks, and keep them coming. Mike. That's it. That's the whole email. Thank you, Mike. Wow. We love you, Mike. Very nice. I like how we accurately got all of our qualities. Those are what, accurate. Wait, so how are you mapping that, though, then, Daryl? <laughs> I thought the it was all about me. <laughs> I just assumed what? all three of the adjectives he used were about me, and then oh, you guys I see, were yeah. kind of secondary, secondary. Like, I'm amazing, funny, insightful, and entertaining, and you guys are also and part also of that And also, Anthony and Daryl are present. <laughs> they try to support that. <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm 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 a I'm a member of the chorus with the two of you. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, thank you, Michael. And again, just a reminder: you can always email us at originalcontenttechcrunch.com. It, it doesn't have to be just talking about how great we are. We also welcome feedback, especially constructive feedback. But um, we appreciate the kind words too. But let's move on to. The big news of the week, which was an announcement from Warner Media. Actually, the, I first heard about it because there were these tweets that our editor in chief, Matthew Panzerino, flagged for me, saying that the movie, the entire movie business, is about to change in 20 minutes. And I think the news kind of lived up to that, which was an announcement from uh, Warner Brothers and its parent company, Warner Media, that their entire theatrical movie slate for 2021 will be released simultaneously in theaters and on HBO Max. And the, we, you know, we've talked about other movies that have you know, skipped theaters because of the pandemic and have gone to, you know, Netflix bought some movies, some movies have gone straight to Hulu, to Amazon Prime, but this is the first time a big studio has said, yes, we're like basically going fully into, into streaming and, and that like, Streaming is basically the main way, or at least one of the main ways we're going to release our big, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars budget movies in the future. Yes. Shocking. Good, though. <laughs> um, well, I, one of the conversations I, I had about this was, was on Twitter, where our former co-worker Ryan Lawler um, was tweeting about how he thought Warner was only doing this because their entire lineup for 2021 is garbage. So I saw that by Ryan and I definitely co-signed because I looked at the list when it initially came out and I was like, ugh, this sucks. This is this reads like a list of trash with like a couple minor exceptions. So I get... Yeah, like, I agree with I, Ryan too. Yeah, I think it's a throwaway year for Warner and that's... Because there was an interview where he was like, 
the CEO was like, let's not get ahead of ourselves here because people were like, you've killed the movie, the theater yeah. industry. And it's kind of like, well, maybe they could afford to because this was just a real stinker year where they had only had duds to put out with a couple exceptions, right? I mean, I will say that obviously, like, anyone who listens to this podcast knows that I have kind of, I mean, everyone has unique and individual taste, but mine is maybe a little bit more weird. And Oh, well, yeah, you only um, like bad DC movies. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> so... With that caveat, I would say that, I mean, and also as I get older, it's just I'm less likely to get super pumped about movie trailers and movies that are, you know, that are not coming out for like another year or two. But with those caveats in mind, like Dune is easily the movie I'm most excited about next year. That's fair. I I mean, number two is probably In the Heights. Number three is The Matrix 4. And then I don't think you get to a non-Wars movie until like... Shang-Chi, which is like probably the only non-Warners movie I'm excited about right now. But you got to tell me if uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda is actually in In the Heights. He's in it, although he has a relatively small role. It's going to ruin it. Doesn't matter. No. (laughs) Oh, I see. So you're mad. You wish he wasn't in it at all. Yes, exactly. I think he's fine. He he made it or whatever. Great. Good job. Now leave it. Because you're gonna destroy it if you come on screen and you're like, I'm acting. It's me, Lin Manuel Miranda. I'm great at acting. <laughs> no, you're not, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm also excited. For, I mean, I've listened to the In the Heights soundtrack many times. I, I like the music. Um, I'm also just excited because it's the the next movie from John Chu, who directed Crazy Rich Asians, which I love. Um, and. I think there are, you know, other movies to be excited about because of the directors involved. Like, The Suicide Squad is the next movie from James Gunn, who made Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, Many Saints of Newark. I mean, I don't care about The Sopranos. I know Daryl probably cares even less than I do. But David Chase, who created The Sopranos and, you know, I think inarguably changed the television industry and the art form of television, you know, is a writer and producer on that. So, like... That's, you know, I, I don't know if it'll be my cup of tea, but it's probably going to be a good movie. Maybe. And I want Godzilla vs. Kong to be good, although I, I have no idea whether it will be. Probably will not Is be. this actually in a uh, series with any of the actual the existing releases? Or is it just oh, a Yeah, whole it's new? a sequel to the recent Godzilla movie, the recent King Kong, the recent two Godzilla movies and recent King Kong movies. They've been setting up a monster verse, but... The Hiddleston King Kong is part of this? Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. That could be good. That was a good King Kong. It was okay. Whatever. Skull Island? No, come on. Yeah. That was uh, out of this world. It's just fantastic. <laughs> I was not <laughs> expecting that. It's fine. Yeah, you know, it was fine. You know what was great about it? What was Lin Manuel Miranda? Not in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the uh, fatal flaw of the Warner Brothers lineup. <laughs> oh, um, man. But yeah, I mean, it'll, I, I think like you might not see them doing the exact same thing in 2022, but what seems like the general pattern is that, A, the movie business is in real trouble because of the pandemic. Also, the movie studios would like to shrink the theatrical window so that they don't have to wait three months to, to release a movie online. And so I think you're just going to see everything continuing to move in that direction. That said, I will absolutely, I mean, I'm hopeful that, you know, things will be somewhat normal by next fall or have some, at least closer to normal than they are now and it won't seem insane to go into a movie theater. 
But mm-hmm. if there's a movie I'd risk my health for, it's Dune. Wow. Okay. Screen. Yeah, I mean, it does look pretty pretty good. It looks it it looks like um, similar to whatever new Blade Runner. When I saw the trailers for that, I was like, that looks like a movie that you want to see big screen, and it lived up to that. Um, so, yeah. Hopefully. Jordan, are you, are you excited and about this at all? I wasn't paying attention, but. Mm. Good. But but to be fair, I heard like King Kong and I heard a couple like, you know, I'll call them trigger words, to be honest, that <laughs> <laughs> tell my brain, this is a boy's territory. Let them let them talk it out. Let them have their, you know, moment and uh, just sit back. You know, like I said, chorus member here. So in terms of them releasing their full slate, I'll just echo. I, I think that. It sounds like a pretty terrible slate, so who the fuck cares? Um, although I am interested in the changing dynamics of the movie industry. Yeah, I think that's the more interesting part. It we like, I would love it if they did it because then I wouldn't have to go to theaters anymore. That's my main thing. Like, I just don't like them. I don't. I don't care for it. I don't want that to be a thing anymore in the world. Because then, and I want to steal that joy from people who have it because. <laughs> Then I get to watch the stuff at the same time without having to go out. And then I don't, I can avoid spoilers, right? I mean, I think that we've talked about this before. I think what is inevitably the case is that the theatrical movie business continues to shrink. Um, I hope that it's still sustainable in a small way, you know, in the same way that like record stores and bookstores still are sustainable in a small way, even if they're mm-hmm. not dominant in the way they used to be. But yeah, I mean, I think this, it sort of seems like. I mean, one of the worst cliches that you just hear on every pitch or call that we do, like, is with with startups, uh, is like, you know, the the pandemic just accelerated existing trends. And I mean, but this is a case where I think that's that's definitely true. Um, yeah. And I mean, I think I, there was actually a good piece by um, A. O. Scott, uh, the one of the main re- film reviewers from the New York Times, where he talks about this sort of almost like false nostalgia that people have for for theaters and the fact that right now i mean to jordan's point about the fact that she (laughs) heard all these trigger words was that the movie (laughs) business the theatrical movie business is more and more about these like giant superhero blockbusters which i generally enjoy and have a good time at but it seems like yeah but the people who love film like the alamo draft house people don't want that right like they want something else that has always been niche and will remain niche right like i feel that's right that's right sized right like that's stable sized that market let's say or dwindling at a slower rate was small and dwindled slower but then the yeah the main the mainstream theater market it was not people going out to see beautiful artistic darling films that are like carefully made i mean sure they were carefully made but like it's a different type of thing right they're the mass market uh big explosion films that's what people wanted to see in theaters the most people yeah although i i would quibble with that a little that i think like there have been like box office hits like in the past that are maybe you know they're they're crowd-pleasing films but they're not giant special effects spectaculars right like in like, like joker we were growing up like anthony you know, loves joker <laughs> Yeah, like, like things like movies like like Forrest Gump or Titanic. I mean, these are all movies that like. You're talking about a bygone era. Uh, yeah, I'm just saying that like it's not like written in stone that every movie 
every successful movie has to be about a superhero or a spaceship as much as I love both of those things. Yeah. They can be about. I mean, most have to be about a spaceship in my book (laughs) or a superhero on a spaceship, maybe fighting a giant monster. What's a recent one though? Think of a recent one. Oh, assassin. Like, you know, the guy from John wick. Oh, John wick. (laughs) John wick. You mean John wick. (laughs) <laughs> or I mean, um, I mean, Crazy Rich Asians is an example of a movie that was a okay. Movie. That's a good one. Yeah, and that's relatively recent. Yeah, and I mean, most of those movies are were even before the pandemic, though they were generally being released in you know on streaming rather than um, rather than in theaters. And I mean, that was part of what made Crazy Rich Asians such an anomaly, and and like the fact that like Netflix actually wanted to release Crazy Rich Asians and. They, they really pushed to, to put it in theaters, which seems kind of crazy, but it worked out. But I think you'll see fewer and fewer stories like that. that was, I didn't even know that was a Netflix movie. It wasn't. No, no, no. They, want, they, they bid for it at a certain point. Oh, I see. To try I to, um, and they basically they off, they, they took less money from Warner Brothers so that they could release it in theaters. Okay. There was a guaranteed theatrical release. But I, actually, let's, let's, that's a reasonably good transition to our review because Happiest Season is I, I mean I don't know maybe this is a movie that would have just been like put on like in in some with like one very big difference like is a movie that could have been released as like a Hallmark holiday movie or something like years ago but it's also like a romantic comedy that theoretically 10 years ago would have been and should have been released in theaters um, the big exception is the fact that it is about a lesbian couple um, played by Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis. And they're going back to see Mackenzie Davis's um, parents and uh, for Christmas. And as they're driving back, Mackenzie Davis has to admit that she's not out to her parents. And she's told them that Kristen Stewart is just her orphaned roommate coming home for Christmas. And comedy hijinks ensue. Although it was also... Um, a lot more serious and emotional than I was expecting to. I mean, maybe I should have expected that, but like it was a, for me at least like both very, very funny. And I got very teary eyed towards the end. Yeah, no, for sure. It was, and it it had some emotional gut punches in it. I think for sure that I didn't anticipate going into it. Um, Yeah, it was surprising, but also very good. I, I really enjoyed it. So I think it was it was it was pleasantly surprising in terms of, but I mean I didn't think it I didn't think it was going to be bad because I had heard pretty good things mm-hmm. about it and I knew it wasn't the typical Netflix holiday schlock fair. But uh, well, in many ways it is completely typical, but then also not. Yeah, 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 that's true. Right, that it, there's sort of a formulaic kind of aspect to it, and I I mean I remember seeing my friend sent me the trailer and I was just kept being like, why are all these talented and famous people in this movie that looks fairly formulaic and and in a way like i mean having seen the movie it is formulaic it just executes on that formula really really well and Mm -hmm. you know it's just it's not like there's uh, i think the, the high concept is just what if it was a traditional holiday romantic movie but with a lesbian couple at the center and um but then everything about it is just done so well and and because that that difference is not a superficial one that like drives the conflict that is like the heart of like you know what the the problem that the characters face but it it's also surprising how 
traditional it feels and yet still really, really worked for me. Mm -hmm. So we've heard what the two straight guys think. You are you waiting for me? Is it my turn? Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So um, initial impressions. I think it was very good and refreshing to have a what is essentially like a holiday film first, followed by a queer film, as opposed to the other way around. Um, like the genre is so timeless usually like especially when done well that i feel good about the fact that in many ways it was super super formulaic there were like several big kind of tropes things like sibling rivalry and coming home for christmas as an adult and um that were used well and like fit and and it feels very much like a christmas movie um and i think that was good like i think that should be the primary goal there's a lot of criticism about like you know, maybe it being a little like watered down and not necessarily tailored to the queer community. I actually like, I, I agree and disagree. I think like there are certain things that are very like conservative maybe about it. I don't know if that's the right word to use, but maybe it's not like embedded in queer culture or lesbian culture to the point where like, if it was done as a showing for like on like a gay women's night at a club or something, we would all be like, wait, well, really? This is the one we chose. Mm. Um, but I also think that's important too, right? Because like the whole, in many ways, it feels like the mission statement of this movie is like interchanging a woman for a man and keeping the holiday movie almost entirely the same is essentially what you should be thinking about it in real life too when you approach gay couples or same-sex couples or whatever, right? Like, it doesn't really affect you in any way other than there's one sex different than you expected, right? <laughs> like, that's literally yeah. the only thing. Um, and then I do think that, like, there's also some criticism. Well, I guess we shouldn't really talk about, about the end. Um I'm a huge fan of Clea Duvall, who is the director of this film. Um, and I think that, like, I read an interview with her, and I think she approached it really thoughtfully. I don't know if they necessarily executed on this, but, like, the way you feel about Harper and what she's going through and how she behaves. Mm -hmm. Harper being the Mackenzie Davis character, who's right. um, the one who's, who's closeted and... In, as they say to her in the film, she's kind of trying to push Abby, her girlfriend, back into the closet, at least temporarily. Right. And it's interesting because you read, like, I read interviews with Clea Duvall and then I read, like, you know, um, stuff that, like, other gay women have written, gay female journalists um, about the movie. And there's a big gulf, I think, between the way people feel about this, right? Like, and there are some big kind of, like, it doesn't matter if you're gay or straight. There's some big no-nos, right? Like there's a very blatant lie and early on in the movie where you're like, that shouldn't be okay in a relationship, any relationship, like that kind of right. lie, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then there's also the piece that I think is, is probably the most queer part of the film, which is that the journey of one person compared to another is going to be different and they are going to make mistakes on that journey. Some are big, some are small, you know, and they kind of touch on this throughout the film. Um, 
And Harper makes a lot of mistakes. There's no doubt about it. But as someone who has gone through the process of coming out myself, like I have a lot of grace for that. Um, and I think like depending on your journey, that that your own journey kind of decides how much grace you're willing to have for someone like Harper, right? Like I think people who have suffered a lot through their coming out process and had really horrible kind of breaks in their relationships, etc., are a little less cool maybe, or sometimes maybe even more cool, right? Like maybe they fundamentally understand the fear or maybe they're like, buck up and get it done. Because if I could lose a parent or lose, you know, my job or whatever I lost, you can just get it done and do this. Um, and same with other people who've come out and been like, we knew all along, we love you no matter what, right? Like that, those people might feel differently as well. So I think your like your viewpoint really shapes the way you feel about Harper, which is just how life works, right? I, you know, mm -hmm. I, w I went on for a long time. Those are kind of my, my top line, top level thoughts. I definitely wrestled with my feelings about Harper as well, which some of which I think, yeah, we can probably talk about more when we talk about the ending in spoilers. Um, mm -hmm. I will say to your other point about like the sort of queerness of the movie, um, I, I don't want to draw a, com a complete parallel, but it, it also reminded me of the way that like conversations I had around tying it all back, Crazy Rich Asians, because people were like, oh, is this just like another rom-com? Like, is this, is this movie actually good when I was like evangelizing for it? Um, and I said, well, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, that's kind of the point is that you're taking a traditional form and just saying that like the people being represented on screen can be different and it doesn't. And part of the point is in a lot of ways to make it a very traditional movie. Um, and and so I, I think it's fine to sort of critique that and say, like, this certainly doesn't represent everyone's experience, um, but that there's value in that. There's value in saying, like, let's, you know, like, like it doesn't have to be that every sort of queer film doesn't have to be a politically radical art film, but it can be, you know, a fairly mainstream crowd pleaser like this. And I think mm -hmm. Clea Duvall also, well, I don't know if we should talk about that until spoilers, but I will say that Riley was my favorite character, easy peasy, hands down, uh, awesome. And I think also um, another initial impression is that Kristen Stewart did pretty well uh, for being in a comedy. I, I am so polarized by her. Like sometimes I see her and I freaking love her. And sometimes I'm like, can you try at anything? Please? Like, <laughs> and I particularly like her as a person, like when she does interviews and stuff and people are like, so how did you feel about this role? And she's like, I'm high, like whatever, you know? And I'm just like, I love that like aloof energy that she brings to everything. Like she really truly does not give a fuck. Um, but sometimes in her roles, it just feels like this character is named Kristen Stewart and she is literally the exact same all the time. Um, but I thought she did well in a comedy, which is kind of outside of her wheelhouse. Um, and I didn't like the casting of Harper. I think that also doesn't help. Mm. I, I feel like Harper, no offense to Mackenzie, whatever. Mackenzie um, Davis. Yeah, Mackenzie Davis at all, because I'm sure she's a fantastic actress and she's beautiful. And like, you know, she had some really funny moments and stuff, but there was just something about the chemistry between them that I felt like didn't quite fit. Um, and also I think you have to just have 
some special quality in order to take us through Harper's journey without us wanting to turn against Harper. Do you know what I mean? Like there has to be some X factor involved in the, in the actress that plays that role that grants ultimate kind of forgiveness and grace. Um, something cute or quirky or like just something special that is like, ah, she did that. But like, I love her, you know, like that should be the way you kind of like feel. And I just didn't with Harper. Yeah. Although I think in some ways it works because then you're allowed to sort of just feel as angry and disappointed as um, Abby does at points in the movie. Um, Right. And, um, but yeah, I, I don't think she was, Mackenzie Davis was the best part of the movie, far from it. I mean, partly because that character, I think, is just one that's going to be hard for people to sort of embrace or, or latch onto. Um, but I would say the casting in general, I think, is, is was really strong. I mean, I understand what you're saying about Kristen Stewart. I think she's, I don't know how much she's stretching, but she does well in the role. Um, my, I would say that Otherwise, I thought, yeah, all the actors are really good. I mean, Riley, uh, Aubrey Plaza as, as Riley was great. Um, mm-hmm. Dan Levy, partly because I'm in the middle of, of watching Schitt's Creek for the first time, and, and there's like sort of no pure source of joy. He is basically doing the same thing that he's doing in Schitt's Creek, and it's amazing. And he, he was probably my favorite part of the movie. I mean, there's like this weird thing where he still is sort of the, even though he's not the only queer character in the movie he's still kind of playing the gay best friend role um of being sort of like quippy and off to the side making jokes but he does it really really well and uh i was always happy to see him on screen yeah no dan levy is that who you're talking about yeah mm -hmm. oh my Mm -hmm. god so good so good at everything um he was just perfect for this role and he had so many good Sticks like for the limited amount of time he's on screen, he has these kind of three ish modes, right? Like the one is like kind of OCD, like he's tracking people. On the one hand, he's very extreme in the way he goes about things, and then he has the super nonchalant, don't give a shit about anybody but myself mode as well, where he's like, I gotta go, I don't want to talk about this, I'm killing fish. <laughs> and then he has. Uh, like the straight guy mode, which was super funny. Um, mm-hmm. the, the little bit about lifting weights with the one guy <laughs> that had me cracking up. And then you see, of course, you the, and then like there's like those three flavors and the milk chocolate center is the truth, right? Which is like he's a real human being who has real thoughts and feelings, is a real friend, has real experiences to, to pull from and talk about. Um, very, very, very good supporting character on the writing side, on the execution side, just a really well-rounded, good supporting character. Daryl, would you say that this was better than Holiday? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's much better than Holiday. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely, yeah. I mean, there's parts where I was like, this seems like a really unforgivable thing to do. And it was a little bit tricky to get back in the mode of all right, it's any antics after that, but um, I still, yeah, I thought I thought it was really well written. And to your point about like the uh, uh, crazy rich Asians, like it's like that. There's no question that that's just a really fantastic 
example of the genre and i think that's the case here too right like regardless of anything else going on it's like a very well executed genre film so i think that's the difference between and i think of there i I don't actually know the name of it but there was like the funny story funny slash sad story of the guy who's like shopping around hallmark holiday movies and he he wrote and shot two identical ones except in one he just gender swapped the wife to be a husband and sold that to uh like what out tv or something and then sold the other one to hallmark channel and literally just shot every scene like had the okay now the guy comes in (laughs) and the guy reads the lines and like he he knew he had to do that because the like hallmark channel would never ever buy the gay version of it and whatever so you know like i think that's the example of like okay i mean that's good in some ways but also kind of like it's not intentional or anything like that right and and uh, and there's no care put into it or thought put into it really i guess but this this seems like and and it also is core like you're right about the crisis doesn't exist if you translate this into like a heterosexual context right like i mean you could come up with a close equivalent, but you couldn't come up with the same one. It just wouldn't be there, right? One thing it does capture very well that's not the core of conflict but is related to it is just that feeling of being around a group of people, particularly around the holidays, that's not your family or your mm-hmm. core friend group. And just like there are so many scenes that are kind of like sad and hard to watch that just involve Abby feeling kind of peripheral and left out and like nothing aggressively terrible is happening it's just that she's on the edge and yeah and i think it just like shows what that's like really well it doesn't have to sort of like make a big deal about it but like that's the dynamic in almost every scene yeah i think that's all the stuff that's translatable in a good way is that it's like just the outsider into a family dynamic thing is very universal i guess right yeah i think it's like made a little bit more poignant by the fact that like harper obviously is changing so like i've been in these situations before where either like you know the girlfriend i'm with is a secret to my family or vice versa and in many at least in my experience the effort behind the scenes by the partner who's kind of in the closet or keeping the secret is actually goes up behind the scenes right like it's like oh i just want you to know like i really really care about you Mm. like don't worry about any of this like a lot of like comforting and coddling as opposed to like I have to stay in this secret in the closet mode Mm -hmm. even when it's just me and you talking right which is like one of the things that I felt like made it easier to to kind of rally against Harper also the perspective of the film adds to that a lot because we always are with Abby there's Mm -hmm, never a time where we're not with Abby whereas there's there are times when we're not with Harper um so you automatically relate more to abby i also think like they did a good job of layering in some like backstory and context that makes a lot of this extra painful like you said like there's a baseline of like you're always going to be an outsider in fact when i was watching tv the other night with my family my sister said something like could you ever love like one of our spouses 
the way you love us. And my dad was like, sure, I think there are families that treat, you know, their, their son and daughter-in-law is just the same. And I was like, absolutely impossible. Like you might like love them or care about them. And like, maybe when they're grandchildren that like goes up a notch, but like, you've known me for 32 years. I am your blood. Like right. there is absolutely no way you could love anyone the way you love me. It would almost be crazy right? if, if like, they did. You'd be like, exactly. Really? You met this it would be offensive. Exactly. It would be offensive. Like The only real way to know is if you're in a Sophie's Choice scenario. Uh-oh. Well, right. that's a weird thing to say. <laughs> we can um, stage that, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Change of pace. Um, but yeah, so like I think there's the baseline like outsider thing, but then there's also the fact that Abby loved Christmas, lost her parents, hasn't celebrated Christmas since. She's in a particularly vulnerable place. She's double vulnerable because she's thinking about proposing. She's blindsided by this mistruth. I guess, is it a spoiler to talk about the fact that Harper... I think that's the setup. That's, I mean, the, the stuff that Har- Harper lied. lies about at the beginning. Um, and Harper the fact lied. That she's, she lied, that she lied not just to her parents, but she lied to Abby about the fact, because she told Abby that she'd come out over the mm-hmm. summer and she hadn't. And that everything was fine. So Abby thinks that for the first time in years, after not having celebrated Christmas, a very painful like time full of grief, that she's going to go home to a family at Christmas that is accepting of her, be with her partner, maybe propose. And the, you know, there's nothing worse than, you know, um, expectations not being met when they get so high like that, especially for someone who works so hard not to let their expectations get up. It feels like that's kind of Abby's baseline is like, oh, I'm not going to get my hopes up because they're not going to, it's not going to work out that way. Right. And she lets herself. And then she gets fucking slapped in the face. So, you know, the, it, like, it just cranks up the heat on the, the pain and the tension in this movie, which, which is a testament to the movie because it's so funny mm-hmm. that you can feel that pain and you can also go instantly from being like, this fucking sucks and hurts so bad to, like, laughing out loud because something hilarious just happened. Um, I just, I really liked it. Yeah. Should we move into spoilers and talk a bit more about the ending? Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So if you have not seen Happiest Season, you don't want to know how it ends, you should stop listening now. Um, yeah. So uh, just to echo your point, Jordan, throughout the movie, I basically was like becoming more and more angry and disappointed with, with Harper and how she's treating Abby. And um, and I mean, you know, very. that's clearly what, what they are setting up. And then I almost thought that like... I would not be able to be enthusiastic about that because I was like, well, obviously, like this is a movie where they get to get they stay together. Like they, maybe they break up for a little bit, but they they're gonna end up together. Um, and I thought I would have a really hard time with that. And I think they do a good job of, and partly because Dan Dan Levy does like give this whole speech about like everyone's experience coming out is different mm-hmm. um, and how terrifying that is. But like they do also a good job of like she really um harper really acknowledges how badly she fucked up and that um abby does like say i gotta go goodbye um and and so there's like a little bit of space and like penance and so you you do feel like when they do get back together i at least i felt like okay i can i can get on board with this yeah i'm with you on that i thought like um like most queer films end with tragedy uh 
like 98% of them are like, oh, one committed suicide or like, you know, they can't be together because X or whatever. Like, it's terrible. We never get happy endings. So like, that's nice. It, it falls into the holiday f- formula. So I think that was necessary. I think the only thing that I would change, I, I appreciate the fact that I almost thought they were going to do the proposal at the gas station. And I was like, don't do it. Don't do it. Like, wrong wrong like we can't swing the pendulum that far and that fast that's Wait, what that, was the that gas doesn't station? work when harper chases after abby there abby's decided to leave with the guy oh, with right. dan levy okay and harper comes up and is like i love you i want to be with you like i'm sorry right like i thought abby might get down on one knee and propose right then because she was planning on proposing at christmas and yeah. i was like don't do that like that's wrong and they didn't so i'm glad I think the only thing that I would change um, about the ending is I still wanted to see a proposal. So, like, yeah. I'm glad that they took the time to say, like, 10 months are, has passed or uh, 12 months has passed. And, like, the couple has done the work to kind of get through whatever this was and the pain that lives within this or whatever. But then, like, I want the payoff of that, like, this magic moment type thing. Um the only other thing I'll say about the ending is I liked uh, Harper saying sorry to Riley. And I liked the fact that they didn't indulge in letting Riley and Abby hook up because, I mean, I'm all for that pairing. Actually, <laughs> I would watch that movie a billion times. Seriously, it would be like my most played. My Spotify wrapped would be like, yeah, this Happiest Season sequel. Um, but it's good to have like gay women who are just friends on screen i think um yeah that's not often shown and it's a big part of you know being being gay uh is just having platonic friends who are gay we don't all have to hook up with each other um and then final note is i'm glad that the the sister who was forgotten got hers in the end i thought that was a really nice touch and yeah although the painting that she spent a hundred hours on is still destroyed yeah, mm. but I mean, she's she's best-selling author or whatever now, so I'm not I'm not so worried about the painting. And the painting brought the sisters together. Let's be real. That's true. Yeah, worth yeah. it. Yeah, she was so great, by the way. The girl who played the sister, like she was good. Yeah, I don't know who that she's is. Really I've never funny. Seen her before? I don't think. But that was great casting. On the other hand, right. like that was the perfect person to play that role. Yeah, I would say the other thing about the ending that that sort of makes it fall into this kind of formula is the is that I think everything that happens, I can imagine happening in a real family. Um, but, you know, I think what makes it sort of a fairy tale movie is that, like, it all happens, like, in a day, right? That they re- reconcile, the, the dad realizes he's been terrible and he apologizes. And, and so the fact that it kind of all comes together so neatly is doesn't feel real. But I think that's fine. I mean, I think for the, for the kind of movie it is, that, that didn't bother me a lot. But I, I definitely like noticed it that we went from like what felt like in a lot of ways, very real pain into like a fairly kind of neat resolution very quickly. Yeah, yeah. I will say they, tri- they, did, they did a good job tricking me into thinking that it was viable that like that they, she might end up with Riley. Because I was like, you know, oh, this is going to follow the traditional structure of this thing. And there's no way that it's going to deviate. And I did think for a while i was like maybe there's a chance that it goes that it takes the 180 mm-hmm. and goes this way so i thought that and was i would have been good. okay with that yeah oh yeah for sure there was a lot of chatter about um what's her name the main harper 
that she has a wig on? Did anybody notice that? Oh, uh, I didn't notice that. But people were complaining that she's wearing. I'm, a I generally don't bad have a good wig eye for wigs. Yeah, the whole time. I can't tell. Oh. I don't have a good eye for wigs either. But I did not like her hair, so maybe that. <laughs> <laughs> like I remember being like, your hair isn't good. Maybe but then again, is. neither is Kristen Stewart's. It's so fucking damaged. I do like her blonde, and I love the wardrobe choices for her. It's like so hot. Like she's just like eleven out of ten for her <laughs> gay style. But her hair was so damaged. Like, can we get this girl some fucking conditioner? Please? But I, I thought Sorry. is that cool now? So is it cool to have damaged bad hair with like really exposed roots? <laughs> I, mean, I honestly I don't thought oh, that's a real question. I know, but I don't think it? the roots are the problem oh, yeah, or the, the blonde. The but it was just like, like, and it's cool if it's like grungy, right? Like that's not my problem. Like a little kind of like wild and sort of grungy, like '90s rocker, like doesn't bother me at all. But it's like fried. Like if you walked up and grabbed a piece, you could just snap it off. Snap it right off. Like that should not be how hair is. That bothers me. Oh, there's a whole article about the hairdressers in this. Uh, uh oh. <laughs> on Pop Sugar. Here's the quote. When Davis showed up on set, she couldn't have been further from Harper's brunette shade and bang. She had a chin length blonde bob that stylist Tina Fabulek covered with a wig to give Harper the desired conservative looking length. Ooh. Mm. No okay. wonder. No wonder. No wonder. The <laughs> internet is a flutter. <laughs> I will say the one other thing I noticed that kind of bothered me at the end was over the credits they do this sort of they go down um the dad's instagram feed or it's really the mom's instagram feed right officially it's the dad's for the dad Um, mayor yeah and then what you realize that this is that this story takes place during christmas 2020 and i was like what well, come uh, on. I mean, you know, alternate of universe. They, yeah, I mean, they made the movie before the pandemic, um, and then they, you know, decided not to change the dates. And, what if they? But I was just like, you're all psychopaths. There are no masks anywhere. What's happening? If they had known, then it would have been QAnon or whatever, because like they engineered the pandemic, I guess, right? Yeah. Okay, that's enough out of you, <laughs> choice. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it just kind of rubbed me the. the I mean, because we've talked about this before, is this question of like. Um, do you like if you're writing fiction now? Do you acknowledge the pandemic? Do you just sort of like skip over it? Or like, I've you know have some short stories where I just very pointedly at a certain point put the year 2018 or 2019 into mm-hmm. it to just make it very clear. Right. Yeah. I don't know to be honest. Where you pull a Michael Bay and you're like, ugh. It's the worst thing. And yeah. Uh, it's the don't do that. Yeah. That's that's the opposite of what you should do. I mean, yeah. I assume we're doing that next week, right? What is that out? I think out it's coming out in the next few weeks. Oh, I, I, I want to do Mank also soon. But oh, yeah, that's supposed to be good. We can, I mean, I do think Songbird will be a fun hate watch. Well, we might not hate it. It might be the best movie of the year. It, Listen. It might be. <laughs> It'll be a real Sophie's choice. What about Dash and Lily? <laughs> don't we, aren't we only exclusively doing holiday movies and TV shows? I don't know. I don't know. All right. All right let's charge. Let's, Let's take this to the Slack because I don't think we're going to resolve this right now. Uh, you don't there's think a the German one. Like the the back and forth. Not this German. Is a power struggle among us. Norwegian <laughs> show called Home for Christmas that I okay. also highly recommend. <laughs> you suck. No. Season two is coming out December 18th. It's just for everyone. I'm now on Anthony's side. We should resolve this elsewhere. 
All right. Any final thoughts about Happiest Season? Uh, Two no, thumbs up. It's great. Yeah. I think people should watch it. Yeah. It's a good holiday film. Particularly, we, we got a, a mad rush to the holiday episode. And uh, this is one I feel like you can watch with your family. Maybe more deserving I, of that mad rush. Yeah. 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 I agree with that 100%. Holiday was fun and funny, but this is a true Christmas movie in my mind. And um, I mean, obviously, if your parents or family really really actively hate gay people it might not be the one to introduce but you should also have a conversation with them about why that is wrong uh so maybe this is a way to do it i don't know yeah but it's good it's it's great this one is like one of those ones that i could see rewatching seasonally which is always the bar for me for a christmas movie exactly i would be happy to watch this next christmas you know and like add it into the rotation maybe one thing we could do to end our episode is talk about our top christmas movies oh that'd be great that'd be great that our listeners know yeah Yeah. all right jordan you want to go first sure yeah um four christmases is in there uh home alone one and home alone two are definitely in there Mm -hmm. and a random one that isn't actually a holiday movie but that i end up watching every holiday is uh father of the bride Mm, okay interesting is there a holiday in there somewhere yeah 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 they do uh they have thanksgiving and father of the bride one i think uh-huh. they do and i don't remember there being a christmas in it i don't know what it is it's just one of those you, family you know how your family assembly. sometimes have those movies that like you just watched a lot when yeah. you were younger like my dad loves that movie and our whole family just like loves that movie and so like when the family comes together, which happens to be around Christmas, that movie gets watched. So it's just now associated itself with Christmas for yeah, me. I know those ones. Yeah. What about you guys? Uh, I mean, I always watch the. I tr- usually try to watch The Nightmare Before Christmas, and also Scrooged. Um, what else do I watch? I guess. Uh, oh, Pee Wee Herman's christmas special is the obvious one that everyone has to watch <laughs> annually i don't watch that at all <laughs> oh it's very good Ooh, and i okay. make and tara watch it and she hates it and we watch it every year <laughs> <laughs> That's nice of you. it has great celebrity guests including dinah shore and uh frankie avalon and annette funicello and a whole bunch of people who are still very relevant now okay cool <laughs> I'm gonna go with the uh, the most obvious one, which is is it's a wonderful life. I I genuinely love that movie and and rewatch it every few years. And actually, one of my last travel memories before the pandemic, for some reason, was I think I we were flying back from Berlin from Disrupt Berlin, I guess just about a year ago now. And um, crazy, all the uh, you know I think all the airplane new airplane movies either look terrible or I'd seen them already. And so I was like, what the hell? Just put It's a Wonderful Life on. And I just remember sitting in my seat on the airplane crying. Uh, I mean, I'm a big movie crier, as we've established. But you like, are. I was definitely mm. like a little bit like... I think Jordan and I were on the same plane, so I had to clean myself up. We were on the same plane, yeah. Before we like oh. took a cab home. But, uh, <laughs> um, but I, yeah, It's a Wonderful Life. It is... I mean, this is... People who've seen it know this, but if you haven't seen it in a long time, I mean, it is a surprisingly dark and, and moving movie, and I highly recommend it. 
Do we have no Elf fans in this podcast? Oh, I watch Elf almost every year. I don't know. It's good. And then uh, very I do m- not like Elf. Oh, I like it. It's, it's and funny. it's like Come become on. Christmas canon, and like that kind of bothers me. I mainly only are like always it. Like, let's watch it, and I'm like, no, I don't want to watch <laughs> it. Like, it's not. It doesn't make me happy. It makes I, me sad. I don't. I get watch it. it for what Zoe Deschanel's singing parts. I think they're very nice, and I think the rest of it is kind of whatever. But uh, I like her singing voice. She has a great singing voice, and her her holiday albums, of which there are many, with uh, M Ward, are very good. So and the size of her eyeballs is just stunning. Also, just huge eyeballs. A Very Merry Christmas was another oh. one that I forgot that has now been added since it's been on Netflix. I really, I really love a Very Merry Christmas. It's great. Feels super Batman weird. Batman Returns. Oh yeah, <laughs> That's a great yeah. Christmas movie. That's a good is one. It? Well, I mean, it's you know, it it it, it takes place during Christmas. And, yeah. Um, a lot I think of people like, put Die Hard as theirs too. Right. Well, yes. I put a tweet out about this like a couple weeks ago. Favorite Christmas movies, and a lot of people said Die Hard. We do I watch it mostly at my brother's insistence, but yeah, we watched that one. Oh, the night before. I like the night before too. Oh wait, the. I don't know what you guys are talking about. The night before. I don't before know what the night before is. Jason Gordon. What's his name? Jonathan Gordon. Jo- What's Joseph his Gordon, Gordon Levitt? Levitt? Joseph Gordon Levitt. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Seth Rogen and um, Anthony Mackie. And it's a, I think it's on Netflix. But it's from 2015. It's a funny stoner comedy movie, but it takes place the night before Christmas. Oh, okay. It's a really good one. If you don't, if you haven't seen it, it's a great one to add into the to the mix. All right, well, let's wrap things up there. I will just remind our listeners that they can always email us at originalcontent@techcrunch.com. Let us know what you think of Happiest Season, what you thought of the episode. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at Original Content, and we always appreciate it when you subscribe and leave us a positive review in Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. Daryl and Jordan, I'll talk to you soon. Yes. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye.